long, so I'm just going to recount what happened. And basically, this is like when the apostles are first going out to preach the word, right? And they're telling the people of Jerusalem all the things that Jesus did and what happened and that he's resurrected and the Pharisees are mad. And so they arrest them. And they tell them that they're not allowed to do this anymore, and then they do it anyways. And and it's kind of like when um, Daniel, if you remember Daniel, and they told him, like, you can't pray to anybody else, you can't worship anybody else, you have to worship the king, right? But he still went to pray, and God still salvaged him, right? And so his faith was so big that he he remained saved, from the wrath that the, all the people tried to do. And it was the same thing with the apostles. It says um, in verse 29, Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And it goes on to talk about like who Jesus was and that it was basically he's telling them, you killed this guy, <laughs> but this is our God. And so it goes into this man, one of the Pharisees, his name is Gamaliel, and it's it's almost like one of those things where he's not right, but God knew what was happening, right? And so he uses Gamaliel in this moment to say, basically, don't take these guys seriously. And then he uses other people from the past Jewish history to say that, look, this guy had followers, he died, then his followers scattered. This guy had followers, he died, his followers scattered. Meaning, like, he didn't believe that Jesus resurrected, so he didn't actually put stock into the fact that Jesus was who he was, right? But he says in verse 39, my advice is leave these men alone, let them go. If they are planning on doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But... If it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. So instead of killing the apostles like the Pharisees previously wanted to do, they decide to order them flogged, which you know what flogging means. Do you? Yeah. What is it? It's that when they get uh, whipped 39 times in the back, not 40 for the fact that if they do 40, you could die. Mm-hmm. So it's like one of the most severe punishments, right? But it's near death. So they get flogged. And then here comes verse 41. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Amen. Rejoicing. Okay. And I laughed at that because... I get sick with a cold. I'm not rejoicing, right? Like, we have all these tiny little things. We didn't just get beat, but we're not rejoicing, right? And so I went into what endurance means, and that's why I had you look up that word, if you want to play it for me. Psalms G, 5281. So this word is used 33 times in the New Testament, and it's endurance. It also means steadfastness, constancy, and patience. The definition actually says, not swerved from your purpose and loyalty to faith and reverence for God by even the greatest trials and suffering. So we're going to go to Romans 5. And I'm going to read through some of it, but I'm going to start with verse 5 because I want us to do two things. Parallel that with verse 32 of Acts 5. Verse 5 in Romans says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. 
Verse 32 of Acts 5 says, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. We are witnesses to Jesus because of the Holy Spirit that's inside of us, right? So now starting over in chapter 5 of Romans, it says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help develop endurance. So there's that word, endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So basically, here's the steps, right? We get tested by our faith, which is what? A trial, a struggle, a problem, an obstacle, something to say, do you really believe that God can move your mountains? Do you really believe it? That's your test, right? Do you really believe? And then, and then the endurance is what? Steadfastness, being not swerved because your faith is strong enough, right? You're not swerved. You keep your faith. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. It says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go through trials, but we have to seek him in all we do, in every circumstance, in every trial, in every struggle, in everything. We have to turn to God. We have to ask him where his heart is in this mess and the chaos and the darkness and the fear and all the things we have to ask him who are you and what are your promises and teach me teach me your ways right and that is how we develop which is one of the words in romans strength of character strength of character becomes confidence which is what godfidence right like your confidence is in the lord knowing that he's going to take care of you regardless when you look at Hebrews 11, which I'm not going to read it because it's long, but it goes through every trial that every single person went through in the Old Testament and how they still kept the faith. They still kept their faith. They still kept their faith because they knew that at the end of the day, the best was still to come and it wasn't going to be here on earth. They knew that their salvation was in God. So they kept their faith regardless of how many trials got thrown at them. They stayed in faith, even if they didn't see their promises in this life here. They still kept their faith. So 2 Corinthians 6 is going to tell us what to do. As God's partners... Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're not just you anymore, but you're partnering with God. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault in our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, 
worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We are well known, right? <laughs> we live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. I had this um, encounter with God, and I'm not going to tell the whole story of what happened, but in part of this vision that I had, I was standing behind a waterfall, and Jesus was standing in front of me, and it was like the first time in my vision that he had said, look at me, and I looked him right in the eye without hesitation. Because in my past, it's always been, I don't, I'm not worthy to look at you. Like, I'm just not good enough, or I just am not clean enough, or something's wrong, and I can't do it. Like, in my dreams and my visions, I couldn't do it. But I looked straight at him, and it was like this proud moment where he was like, you looked at me. <laughs> right? And it was just really beautiful. And I started to look at his hands, and I saw holes in his hands, and I started to cry. Because... I realized in that moment those were my sins, those were my mistakes, those were my flaws, those were my things that he took for me, right? And he told me to stop crying. And he's like gently like a, like a father, shh, it's okay, it's okay. And I'm still, then I look at his feet and again I feel that guilt, right? And he grabs my hand and he says, it was worth it. But it was the joy in his face. It wasn't... There was no condemnation for me, right? In that moment, he said, it was worth it. And so I read Isaiah 53, and this is just what I'm going to end with. I'm going to start on verse 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. He was pierced by our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, children, that his life was cut short in his 30s. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. 
but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants because we're adopted. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many, and he interceded for the rebels. We are his rebels. We are his We've been adopted, and and when I read Acts 5 and I saw the apostles rejoice because they just got flogged, I thought to myself, their faith is beautiful. They knew who their God was. They knew what Jesus did for them. They walked with him. They saw him love. They knew that he was blameless. They knew that, that he didn't do anything wrong. In fact, they knew that he saved the world. And they got to partake in that. And so there was nothing to stop them from speaking about Jesus. It wasn't death. It wasn't prison. It wasn't being stoned. So there should be nothing in our lives, no trial that should turn us away from Jesus. Because every single one of us has a testimony or 10,000 testimonies of how good God is and how great he is and how great he's going to continue to be. And so we continue to endure No matter what, we continue to push on because we don't deserve it, but he loves us so much. We know in our Godfidence that he's going to pull through for us.